census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. The Throwdown Thursday Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ray. Hope you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. We are broadcasting here from uh, the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor, and we are brought to you uh, not only by the Dorkening Network and Deadly Grounds Coffee, but also by our new sponsor, Silk City Hot Sauce. So I'm uh, I'm kind of a spice wuss, but uh, I'm interested to try some of these some of these flavors, especially the uh, the erotic one. There's I won't, I won't spoil it, but we go on to uh, SilkCityHotSauce.com uh, and uh, check out their flavors because they're, they're very similar to Deadly Grounds in that way where they have very cool names for their flavors, so check it out. And uh, I am not here by myself. I am, of course, joined by my co-host on the show. And my co-host in life, she is the Baroness of Bordeaux. The Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Queen Regent of Rosé, the Princess of Prosecco. We did that one last time. Uh, she is the Michael Phelps of wine. She is the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie, ladies and gentlemen, Ashes von Nightmare. And just like that hot sauce, I am also muy picante. Ooh, that's muy picante. <laughs> oh, very spicy, very spicy. Uh, so, we had to take a week off due to Illness everything. Illness and life and everything. But we're back and we're feeling better. Galvanized. Rejuvenated. I thought you were going to say gallivanting. That's gallivanting. Why we, that's, why we weren't, that's why we weren't around. No, I, I also started my new movie gig early. Yeah, so, so this is kind of... I, I, I mean, I don't know how much you can say thus far, but... Yeah, I had to sign an NDA. It's, so I can only talk about stuff that's... Uh, can you can you say what production company you're working for? Like, Can um, you say what film it... Not, not the film, but can you say... I like, can say the name of the film. I'm working on The Holdovers, uh, which will be filming in Massachusetts. Um. It, because this is in IMDb. Uh, it is um, a bigger studio, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, you can check it out on IMDb. It says, A curmudgeonly, curmudgeonly universally disliked teacher, his troublemaking 15-year-old student, and the school's African-American cook, who recently lost her son in Vietnam, are thrown together as they remain at Deerfield Academy over the course of the holidays in 1970. So it is a period piece. And there is uh, one actor thus far attached that's on IMDb, so I can talk about him, Paul Giamatti. Uh, it is directed by Alexander Payne, which, if you are not uh, familiar with him, he directed Nebraska, The Descendants, Election, Sideways, Parish Jetem, Downsizing, 
And he was also a writer on my second favorite Jurassic Park film, Jurassic Park 3. I met him the other day. He's very nice, very uh, very friendly guy. And uh, so, yeah, I'm excited for this. I will actually be a uh, health and safety production assistant on this one. So I started a little bit early. Uh, I've been kind of in in and out of the office, so it's it's been pretty awesome. But like it it was a quick like, hey, can you start tomorrow? So I was like, yeah, all right, cool, like let's do it. Um, but yeah, production's going to be ramping up, and I'm I'm very excited. Uh, and that's pretty much all I can say right now until more is publicly available. But uh, yeah, I can't talk about any like I can't tell you where we're filming, when we're filming, um, what. Like, who else is in? I can only talk about what is public information, and that is public information, like, because it's on IMDb. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, I hope I get to meet Paul. I've had good experiences meeting folks, mm. and I don't, I don't know if I'll be in a position to do so, but I might. They might be like, hey, go wipe down the trailers, and... Paul will be there and be like, hey, what's going on? And then we'll play like some like Pong or something, some air hockey. I don't know. I don't know what he's into. I don't know. Maybe we'll read dream some big. Maybe <laughs> way to dream big. Maybe we'll read some comics maybe. or perhaps drink some wine. Maybe we'll fight Spider-Man. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe you'll dye yourselves blue. Maybe we'll get taken hostage. Maybe we'll end up in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And Paul Giamatti is one Maybe of those... Maybe we'll dress up as, as apes. Really interesting actors. Uh, not typecasted in any way, shape, or form. I mean, no, he's and... done so many different things. He's been a part of so many different genres of films that, you know... And, and he's one of those actors that... I mean, he's always working, which I think is fantastic. Well, I think it's because that... he's he's not a guy that's like, oh, I can't take that role. That's beneath me. It's like, oh, we need somebody to play Rory Culkin's, or was it Rory or Kieran? I don't know. One of the Culkin's accountants in a Volkswagen commercial. Yeah, I'll do that. Hey, I need you to, for 30 seconds, be in a giant mechanized rhino suit and fight Spider-Man. But also, you need to have a ton of facial tattoos. Yeah, I'll do that. Hey, I need you to get taken hostage by Sam Jackson so we can help clear his name. Yeah, I can do that. Hey, hey I, I need, need you to, to get... be an orangutan. I was yeah, going to say, I hey, I, I, I need you to dye yourself blue, you know, in front of Frankie Muniz hey, I need and you Amanda to, Bynes. I need you to be in a movie with a guy who works out only one side of his body where uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is a magical elf or something. I don't know. <laughs> Lady in the Water. I oh, I, I haven't seen that. I I've seen know. it once, uh, but like he has in like people like to talk about Alan Tudyk's range. Paul Giamatti has some fucking range. Like was it? He was in like one of those like it's like some revolutionary show, and he was like Ben Franklin or John Adams or like one of those guys. Not Hamilton, but something else. Sure. I, I don't. My dad watched the show, and my dad was like talking about how much he liked him. This is like several years ago. He's like, "Oh, you should see him in this." He's like, "So good as." I, don't know. I think it's John Adams. Let me. I'm gonna double check. 
but I think he played John Adams. So while you double check, uh, we are going to, you know, new year, new start, new stuff. We're going to kind of revamp Throwdown Thursday a little bit. And by doing so, we are going to introduce a new segment that we are currently calling Characters in the News. I'm sure that we'll come up with some other really fun, sassy name to call it eventually. But for right now, it is Characters in the News. Uh, so starting off, Ghostface is back. Um, Scream 5, or 5 Cream as some people, because they're putting the 5 as the S and then the Cream. Yeah, I've been you, saying that too. You get where I'm going with this. Uh, the fifth installment of the Scream franchise is coming out this weekend. Uh, drops in theaters on the 14th. The tagline is what? The killer is always someone you know. The killer is someone, yeah, it's someone you know. The call is coming from inside the house. Uh, And to be completely honest with you, I'm excited for this. Really fucking excited for this. I don't know when I'll have a chance to go see it because it's only in theaters. Yes, you have an update? He played John Adams in the TV show, John Adams. Wow. (laughs) Good for you, Paul Giamatti. You go, girl. Yeah, he, he, I'm just. I was just like scrolling through his IMDb, like The Hangover Part Two, Twelve Years a Slave, like tons of stuff, and like all different genres. I mean, so John Adams, Fred Claus, The Haunted World of El Super Bisto. He was Doctor Satan. Doctor Satan. Thirty Rock, uh, The Hangover Part Two, The Ides of March. Uh, I, say, I think he's done some voiceover work too. Turbo, he was in Turbo, Twelve Years a Slave, like we just said. Romeo and Juliet, he was Friar Lawrence, but this is the 2013 version. Downton Abbey, Amazing Spider-Man Two, we talked about that. Uh, something called Giant Slut, San Andreas. I don't remember him in San Andreas, but okay. Wild. But, but, but long story short, he is a hardworking actor who continually finds work, and that's fantastic. Yeah, he's he's great, and I really hope to meet him. So back to our new segment, Characters in the News. Yeah, Ghostface is back, and I'm really excited to see this film. Like I said, I don't know exactly when we're going to have the opportunity to go see it. It is only in theaters right now, but uh, if you do have the opportunity to see it, good for you. Don't spoil it. Yeah, don't be a big old jerk. Don't spoil it. Uh, But that's really exciting, and I like the fact that they are... Kind of the same vein of Scream 4 that came out five, six. I don't longer. No, longer than that because we were living at the other apartment. So like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, long time ago. Uh, Kind of the same vein of of, of Scream 4. It's not a reboot. It's not... it's not it's a, a reboot, it's a continuation re- of the story right right it's not right. a reboot you know they bring they're prequel. bringing back a lot of the same characters so i'm i'm interested to see where the story goes uh morbius has a new release date you know sony's film morbius started starring jared leto as the vampire guy morbius the living vampire <laughs> yeah uh the release date has been moved from January 28th 
to April 1st due to Which, COVID. Yeah. See, here's so, the problem. When they, ten, and they, they did this with the new mutants. They kept pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back because it wasn't any good. I mean, uh, I don't... So if you're so if you're hungry to see Jared Leto as a vampire, you're gonna have to wait a couple more months. I mean, to be completely honest, the trailers look okay. I'm, I'll see it. I'll see. It. I like Jared Leto. Plus, it ties in with the Spider Verse, the you know, Sony Spider Verse. I'm interested to see where things are going. If things are gonna tie in, if if you know where there has to be a reason as to why. This film is coming out and why it's coming out now, you know, with everything going on in the Spider-Verse and the other things happening. You know, I don't want to say too, too much because, you know, there's spoilers abound. But uh, yeah. but yeah, so if you're interested in that, you're going to have to wait just a little bit longer. Uh, and speaking of releases, Turning Red, that is Disney Pixar's new film about the girl who hulks out into the red panda when she gets overly excited. I really want to see this is headed straight to Disney Plus on March 11th. Yeah, which is only uh, you know two months away at this point. I you know, and January has been flying by, so uh, it'll be here before you know it. And speaking of Disney Plus, you can currently stream Marvel's The Eternals. Yep, that just dropped like in the last couple of days. Yeah, so uh, we have not had the opportunity to see that yet, so we will definitely be pouncing on that. And speaking of releases and whatnot, Euphoria is back on HBO Max. The second season, the first episode just dropped on Sunday. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, at one of my coworkers' suggestions, I binged the first season and it was, I, I, I loved it. It was not what I was expecting. Um, Zendaya, who plays Rue, one of the leads in the show, took to her social medias recently, or to her social medias recently, to remind people that this show is for mature audiences, and it's not for everyone. It's not everyone's cup of tea. So even though it takes place in high school, let's just say a really, uh, a really advanced high school, because I don't remember being like that in high school. That was more so college for me. Uh it is not for everyone. It's definitely not for younger audiences, and the subject matter may not be for everyone. You know, dealing with drug abuse and alcohol and, you know, um, sexual escapades and harassment and all of this other stuff. There's a, there's a lot to it, but this cast is pretty fantastic, and they do a really good job. And you have something, Patsy. Yeah, uh, something that was shared in one of the, the dorketing chats that I'm in. I'm in, like, 45 of them. So a lot of us, you know, will be, you know, constantly perusing the different sites. So there's always one of us, you know, because there's so many of us nerds or dorks, you know, however you want to uh, classify us. Uh, someone posted the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, every rumored character cameo. Now, some of these I think are interesting. Uh, one of them kind of a no-brainer, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. Uh, Edward Norton's Bruce Banner, which would be interesting uh, because technically, because Thunderbolt Ross was in that one, played by uh William Hurt he uh, Jeff Bridges that's who the fuck we were Jeff thinking of Bridges earlier. yes not Jeff Daniels so we had a we had a conversation about three and a half hours ago we were trying to remember who played Ironmonger 
Um, uh, so that was the first movie technically because that came out uh, or it came out the same year as Iron Man. It's either the first or second one. Um, Thomas Jane's Punisher. Interesting. I prefer the Bernthal version, but of the cinematic films, uh, Thomas Jane is definitely better than the Dolph Lundgren or Ray Stevenson versions. Uh, Ian Grufford as Mr. Fantastic. So kind of taking the Fox properties. Um, although I know there's the rumors of Krasinski and Emily Blunt being Reed Richards and Sue Storm. So that would be interesting. Definitely would not hate that. But uh, Wesley Snipes' Blade, because we're going to see Mahershala Ali, Ali's Blade. Um, Patrick Stewart as Professor X, James Marsden as Cyclops, Halle Berry Storm, Ian McKellen's Magneto, and Hugh Jackman Wolverine. Those would be interesting cameos. I'd yes, be please. interested to see yes, please. Uh, one that I'm super happy about. Uh, Nicholas Cage's Ghost Rider. Oh, because you guys know how big a fan like I really want to work with Nicholas Cage someday. And uh, Tom Cruise as a Tony Stark variant, which I can definitely see. I don't remember Tom, uh, Iron Man being 5'3", but that's fine. Um, and he doesn't run or ride a motorcycle. So I don't know if they're going to get Tom Cruise to do it. But it would be interesting, I think. Um, it would be very interesting. Uh, but I, I think we're going to see a ton of cameos, and I think we're going to see a ton of fake-out cameos where it's like, oh, there's that guy. It's Sort of like, think about it like this. In the in Michael Jackson's Liberian Girl video, where everybody's trying to find Michael and no one can figure out who he is, and they're like, "Oh, there he is!" and you see the hair, and the person turns around, and it's Weird Al. So, like, I think we're gonna see stuff like that, where like there's like some guy with like, <gasps> like you'll see a woman walking down the street with white hair, and it's like, oh, "That's gonna be Storm!" It'll turn around, and it'll be like some dude, you know, like. Do you also think that they're going to kind of like what Game of Thrones did for like the seventh and eighth seasons to throw off all the paparazzi and the people trying to get sneak peeks and put pieces of the puzzle together? Do you think that they're going to film segments to throw off the public? They always do. I mean, I think they'll do a better job uh, releasing their trailer than they did with Spider-Man because uh, a lot of people... We're speculating that they're, you know, based on how the lizard's head snapped back. And it wasn't even the American version. It was like the European trailer or the Korean trailer or the Japanese trailer. I forget what country it was for. But you can see in the trailer, in the American trailer, it cuts out before that because you just see Tom Holland swinging in against all the, the, the bad guys. Um, but in that other version, you see lizard's head snap back and like, all right, there's somebody's punching him or hitting him like they just digitally removed them. So, like, they're definitely in there. And you also can't trust anybody being in the public eye, you know, in an interview. Oh, are you going to be in this movie? No, I'm not going to be in this movie. Because uh, if you haven't seen Spider-Man yet, uh, you might want to skip ahead about 30 seconds because I'm about to have a little bit of a spoiler. Ready? One, two, three. Skip ahead now. Andrew Garfield said he wasn't in anything 
Uh, he debunked every single rumor. Oh, I mean, he deserves an Oscar just for all of the interviews that he did where he was like, no, no. I'm... Because he um, had a film that came out around the same time, Tick, Tick, Boom. It's currently on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet. So he was doing a lot of press for that. It's a musical based on the life of I think it's the about the guy who wrote Rent I'm not 100% sure but it's Lin-Manuel Miranda and it's Andrew Andrew Garfield in the title role um I was to say as as the main character and so he was doing a lot of press for for that and of course people were like oh oh spiders man so you're gonna be on it and he was like oh no no I mean I wish I wish that would be great but you know I hung up my tights a long time ago and I'm just not doing it but I'm really excited and you know they were asking like oh how do you feel about Tom Holland's Spider-Man and he was like oh I love it because he loves the character and I I think that's one of the things that all three spiders men's have in common you know toby mcguire andrew garfield and tom holland is that they really love the spider-man character i think they all have pictures of like them as we youngins you know sporting spider-man garb so that's kind of cool but yeah he was uh he was really given a press the, the press a run for their money yeah, I mean, and there's, there's to the other... point where people were really disappointed. They're like, "Oh, he's not going to be in it." I was like, really oh, hoping yeah, that you it saw was going to be picture, this but it was multiple Photoshop. thing. And... All right, so we've 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 gone past the thirty second mark, so we don't. Wanna... Well, I was going to save this because we're going to do what you're watching later, and I was going to save it this for the end and be like, "We finally watched Spider's Man's." Yeah, we can still talk about it at the end, but we were just talking about this specific cameo things and. How we've we've had conversations with people, uh, you know, various interviews where they've told us things and it's like, all right, you know, this is what's going to happen. Or I had no idea that this was going to happen, even though I'm a part of it. You know, so I think there's definitely going to be some sort of deception um, some ways, you know, like when we we talked with Dominic even though he was in The Mandalorian, he, he had didn't no know. idea that Grogu was a thing. He didn't know what The Mandalorian was holding in that episode, even though, like, when we watch episode three, we know that he's defending, you know, Baby Yoda there. Uh, on set, none of them knew. I mean, Carl Weathers knew, Pedro Pascal knew. Well, the. The main characters knew, but everyone else, all of the extras, all of the, you know, side characters didn't know until they absolutely had to know. And if you didn't have to know, then you didn't know until it aired. Right. That's when you found out, like when you watched the show, even though you were in it, that's when you found out. So they have a, a, a bunch of different ways of deceiving and, and trying to throw because they know people do these deep, deep breakdowns and it's like. Everybody well, I mean, wants to spoil everything. Like not only that, you know. Speaking of these breakdowns, some of these YouTubers go by frame by frame, breaking down these trailers, looking for any signs of anything. I had somebody, uh, New Rockstars, is a is a channel I follow because they do some good work, and I like to. After I see them something, I will go back and see if like some of the stuff I noticed they noticed or see what else. Like they went frame by frame in Into the Spider Verse. Not into the Spider Verse, uh, the new Spider Man, and they're like, "Oh, here's a silhouette in the sky that kind of looks like Craven the Hunter. Here's a silhouette in the sky that looks like this guy, but if he's crouching down and turning sideways, and it's like this could be this. It's like 
that's a level of dedication that I just don't have time for. Mm. I mean, I appreciate those who do, but uh, yeah. No. I appreciate when they do it after the movies come out as opposed to like, oh, watch out. I'll put spoiler in my in my you know thing like oh there's a spoiler for this but like in the thumbnail for the youtube video they put the picture that's a spoiler you know to be completely honest at this point i usually know if i want to see a film regardless of seeing the trailer or not so i don't really watch many trailers anymore i kind of want to go into something completely blind and be you know surprised and enjoy something for what it is versus trying to, you know, make heads or tails of what's happening in the trailer. Yeah. Which, I mean, may not be fun for some people, but I enjoy it because, you know, but here's the thing. Like, Marvel's releasing something. I know I'm going to want to see it regardless. Yeah. And, you know, certain certain films, it's like, oh, this person is directing. These actors have been cast. You know, it's just I'm just like, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm sold or, you know, reading the synopsis. This is what happens. Like, you know, this sometimes and the synopsis is not the trailer because sometimes the tra- and here's the thing too. Like I know we've Hulk had this in Infinity. Well, I was War. gonna say, and I know we've had this conversation before. I don't know if we've had it on air, but we've definitely have it off air. Uh trailers give so much away now. Too much. Trailers give too much away. Well, speaking of, I, I when we take our when we come back from our first break, we're gonna come back to the trailer because we're talking about Mr. Miyagi today. Uh, and in the trailer, Daniel does the goddamn crane kick. Spoiler. Like, Jesus. Like, they don't show him I mean, connect. Brandon, like, it's it's out of context. You don't know. But when you're watching the film, you can kind of put two and two together. I haven't like, oh, seen this, this yet, and, there's, and the movie's been going for an hour and a half, and this is the final fight. Gee, I wonder if they're going to do this yet. They're going to do the thing? Oh, my God. Uh, so speaking of Mr. Miyagi, uh, that's who we're talking about today. I watched the Karate Kid films for the first time, and I will save my thoughts and opinions for the discussion, but... Our getting into character question for today is mentors. Who are some of your favorite mentors throughout film and TV and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, for me, there's a lot. You know, obviously Miyagi would be one of the mentors. Um, You know, another one that immediately pops to mind is Yoda. You know, any of these teachers who are, like, these wise, old, like, I'm going to teach you how to do things, and to a lesser extent, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, I'm going to teach you how to do something, you know, I'm going to train you, and you're going to you're gonna be the main bad guy, I can't do it myself because I'm old, but, like, I still kick everybody's ass when the ch- time comes. But, I mean, like, you know, uh, is that your definition of what a mentor is a mentor is someone who teaches someone their way of doing something and then it is up to the mentee to decide the correct path because we've seen things in various movies where someone is it's like i'm training you but i'm kind of a bad guy um but you don't know that I'm a bad guy. And, you know, you're going to have to make up your own mind. Like, you're going to do things my way for a while. But, 
you realize because you know some outside influence or like some something deep with inside you you realize this isn't what I want to be this isn't how I want to do things and you rebel and then the student fights the teacher in that case um, or in most cases the old mentor figure dies at the hands of the main bad guy and then the mentee has to fight the bad guy so it's that's pretty much it. what it is to me is I'm going to show you my way of doing things and set you on a path, but you're the one who has to walk it and you decide which way you go with it. Okay. It's pretty solid definition. Yeah. What about you? Uh, so we were having this conversation in the car and the first thing that came to my mind was RuPaul and you were like, no, that doesn't count because RuPaul is an actual person. And well, I, said, I had said in movies and slow TV. your roll. Because RuPaul is technically a character. RuPaul Charles is the person. Um, you know, I, RuPaul is absolutely a mentor to all of these different queens and stuff, especially the younger ones, uh, looking for for guidance and whatnot. And, you know, she does offer a lot of guidance on the show. And to that extent, you know, I mean, it is a reality television series and stuff. But, you know, and to that extent, the Belay brothers do the same thing you know, offer guidance, these, these queens who have been doing it for a long time, they're established, they've paid their dues, they've been through it all, they're successful, and they're now kind of shedding their, you know, shining their lights and shedding their wisdom on to these younger up-and-coming queens who, you know, are, are in the process of going through that. Um, one other one that we talked about is Mary Poppins. Who I didn't mm -hmm. think about right away, but I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, she comes in and she mentors that entire household. You know, uh, the film Saving Mr. Banks really kind of shines a light on that because not only, you know, when you're watching Mary Poppins, you think, oh, she's, you know, mentoring the children. She's molding the children to be, you know, quality human beings. But in reality, She's actually mentoring Mr. Banks and getting him to loosen up and to appreciate his family for who they are and to see his potential as a father. Yeah, we've, we've had this conversation. The whole movie is about saving Mr. Banks, yes. if you think about it. Like um, it's, it's not, she's not there for the kids. She's there for him. Yes. And another one that actually came to my mind uh, is Glinda the Good Witch from The Wizard of Oz. She reminds me a lot of uh, her mentor style, reminds me a lot of Obi-Wan's mentor style. I'm going to give you some information, but not all of it. But I mean, here's the thing, you know, Glinda sends her on the path, follow the yellow brick road. Along that road, she meets her friends or the, mm -hmm. these beings that become her friends. And each of them has something that she's missing or each of them teaches her a lesson. Mm -hmm. Each of them allows her, you know, like the scarecrow needs brains, but in reality, she's smarter than she thinks. The Tin Man wants a heart. Well, and it, her whole thing was she was trying to run away from her family. Well, the whole thing, the whole thing is everybody who needed something had what they needed all along. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Let me, can I finish? I don't know. My tangent, police. You're not very tan. No, I'm I'm actually rather pasty pale right now. Thank you, New England winter. Uh, and my lack of 
sunless tanner um anyways uh, you know, so so she meets the cowardly lion who wants courage, you know, and she realizes that she's had the courage all along to face her fears, face the wicked witch, you know, um, and then, you know, in the end, when they realize that the the Wizard of Oz is a sham and he's a phony and everyone realizes that they had what they what they what they thought they were lacking what they thought they needed they already had all along and she realizes you know that she had the power to go home all along all she had to do was will it yeah or you know click her heels like, together three times he and say, there's no heart. place like home he had a heart. He, you know, cried and almost rusted himself up. You know, what's his name? Had the courage the whole time. Um, you know, and Scarecrow's brain, like, he was the one who, you know, I don't want to say, like, did the geometry, but, like, you know, used the axe to cut down but, the thing. Like, they all had what they needed, right, including right. But her. It was, but, you know, it was Glinda, the good witch, who put Dorothy on this path to realizing that not only did she have all of this, but she was very grateful for what she did have. And that, you know, uh, in the end, you know, at the beginning of her journey, she was just trying to escape from her home. And then at the end, she realizes that all she wanted to do was go home, um, and then, you know, that, that was where she needed to be. That's, that's, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, am yes. I making any sense? Yes, I get what and, you're saying. And, you know, but, but instead of being like, you know, Glinda wasn't holding her hand the entire time. She was kind of giving her these little pearls of wisdom and allowing Dorothy to figure things out for herself, which I think is a sign of a really good mentor because, you know, you can... What's that saying? You can lead a horse to water. No, the the fish. Like you can, you, you can, can give a man a fish. Set a man on fire. Give build a man a fire. He stays warm for a day. Set a set a man on fire. He stays warm for the rest of his life. Not exactly what I was trying give to say. Give a man a fish. He eats for a day. Teach a man a yes, fish. He eats for the yes, yes, yes. Like you know, like like giving you the power to believe in yourself. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, it would be easier if she was like, oh, yeah, like you had the power the, the whole time. Also, uh, you need to um, click your heels together because it wasn't just the power that was inside you. It was also you had the to do fabulous this, footwear this that she was sporting thing. Yeah, I've never related to a movie more in my life. Well, maybe death becomes her, but that's a different story for another day. Thank you, Krylon. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I also had a list um, from one film franchise, because I had Mary Poppins on my list, just in case you decided not to mention her. Um, but starting with, it's almost like the the mentee is, is around long enough to start imparting the wisdom that he received and the experience that he has to his own mentee. So... I started off with Mickey Goldmill from 1976, Rocky, one, two, and uh, three. Um, although even in Rocky six, we still see some knowledge being imparted, and that's a that's a typical thing. You know, if a mentor is no longer around, like 
the mentee will still remember some of the things and like especially in a crucial moment they'll be like oh you remember this thing i taught you um you know like even in kung fu panda the the turtle guy was it Uguay? A lot of times the, the, the mentor has to die because the mentor is far too powerful. And if they're around, then the conflict will be resolved. Um, but started with Mickey. And then eventually Apollo. Apollo, once Rocky defeats him, becomes Rocky's trainer. So he went from an enemy to a friend. And we see that a lot in the mentor-student relationship um, and then Rocky himself becomes a mentor to Adonis Creed in the Creed films. And, you know, generally what will happen is a lot of the stuff that, like a lot of the bullshit that the student pulled to the original mentor, when they're the teacher, their student pulls the same shit. You know, it's like, oh, my God, why are you such a, a a hard-headed, stubborn jerk? And it's like, yeah, didn't you do this exact same thing? Like, we're just rehashing it for the movie. So, you know what I mean? Like. So couldn't, wouldn't Morpheus be considered a mentor to Neo in The Matrix? Yes, I would consider Morpheus a mentor. I would consider... Because, you know, obviously, like, Neo realized his own strength under the All I'm doing is showing you the, the door. You're the one who has to walk through it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's... There's so many of these. You know, Gordon Bombay from The Mighty Ducks. Oh, my God! Yes! Um, quack. Quack. Yeah, quack. Like, quack. Shit, you want to talk... Uh, uh, men Did you in quack black at your teacher. The men in men in black, like Tom Jones to Will Smith. Tom Jones, Tommy, Tommy Lee, Lee Jones. Jones. Close. You know, it's not unusual. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, from like the mentor that he had at the beginning of the film, which is why he required a new partner, uh, to being a mentor to Will Smith, to Will Smith being a mentor to. Josh Brolin, who is a young Tommy Lee. I don't know. It's time travel shit. Doc Brown, speaking of time travel. Kyle Reese to uh, Linda Hamilton in Terminator, who then passed on her knowledge to John Connor. Like, there's a lot of these relationships. Rick and so, Morty. Rick and Morty. I mean, that's a very toxic mentorship, which is probably a thing. I don't think Rick is really a mentor to Morty. He's more, Morty is a tool, a means to an end. Mm. But there's a lot of these, and, you know, obviously we could keep going, and we've already gone for about 40 minutes on this. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to wrap this up, take a quick break, and we do want to hear from you. So if you have some that we didn't think of, you know, maybe Dumbledore, you know, that's a good one. Dumbledore. Um, hit us up, throwdownthursdaypodcast oh, at gmail.com. What's his face? Not Dumbledore. You Gandalf. shall not pass. Yes. Gandalf didn't really train anyone. He does. He didn't really mentor anyone. Like, a lot of times, especially in the case of Bilbo, like, he forced him to come along. Like, he didn't force him, but, like, put him in a position that, like, 
you remember they ate all his food and like were throwing his dishes around and stuff like he he was not again i'm showing you the door you have to walk through it but he didn't really well, I mean, help him in any way so couldn't voldemort be considered a mentor yeah a dementor if you will the uh, dementor yeah he <laughs> but i'm tis i mean again these are just like i said you know a mentor somebody who shows you a path and you decide whether you want to continue on it or veer off it or, you know, turn around and go back. You know, you don't have to continue your training. You can always stop and collaborate and listen. Um, I'm just saying, like, you could do that. But, yeah, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to be discussing uh, Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid franchise. <laughs> Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, Get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings, Spice fans. Silk City Hot Sauce is now sponsoring the Dorkening Podcast Network. Our craft sauces are made in Vermont in small, high-quality batches using locally sourced, farm-grown ingredients. Silk City Hot Sauce comes in a variety of heat strengths and killer flavors like Jezebel, Erotic Fever, Mango Madness, and Good Morning Jonestown. And don't forget our newest creation, Hot Syrup. Make no mistake, Spice fans, this is the queen of sweet heat. There's new and unique flavors coming out all the time. Best of all, right now, listeners of the Dorkening Podcast Network can go to SilkCityHotSauce.com and use coupon code DORK. Not only will you get 20% off your order, we'll also throw in a free bottle of hot sauce. That's SilkCityHotSauce.com. Coupon code DORK. This is it. This is the end of the line. You're telling me. Did I tell you about the pool here? For Daniel LaRusso. Is this the only pool you guys got? The future seemed far from terrific. This place is a dump. You should go back to New Jersey. Hey, I know it's hard, but we're not quitters, are we? Until Hi. he met the hey, right girl. She's beautiful. I say she's beautiful. I think she's beautiful. <laughs> is that your address? You got it. But that only angered the wrong guy. Uh, 930, definitely. You gotta be nuts. And his troubles really began. Uh, then, in one man, he found a teacher. I promise teach karate. And a friend. Fighting always best answer. How did you do that? The law. First time. Power. Whole body. Make a perfect picture. How do I know if my picture's the right one? If come from inside you, always right on. 
lesson about the balance, not just karate, a lesson for all life. White train. So I won't have to fight. Hey, karate kid, let's take a move. Yeah! You know, points or no points, you're dead meat. I don't have much of a cheering section. You got me. In the end, it will be in Daniel's hands. In his body. And most of all, in his mind. Concentrate, focus, power. Remember, balance. No mercy. Columbia Pictures presents The Karate Kid. Hey, what kind of belt do you have? Canvas. You like? <laughs> J.C. Penny, 398. <laughs> and we are back. That, of course, being the trailer for 1984's The Karate Kid, starring uh, 55-year-old Ralph Macchio as 12-year-old uh, Daniel LaRusso. He was actually 23 at the time. So he was 22 when filming when started, filmed. when they filmed. And apparently nobody believed that he was 22 because they all thought he was younger. Yeah. I mean, if you look at him, Karate Kid 3 came out in 1989. Okay. He was 28, but he looked no different than he did in 1984. He was 28 right now. I mean, to be completely honest, he doesn't really look that much different in the Cobra Kai series. Look, I, I just want to throw something out there right now. Uh, that was Daniel LaRusso. Ralph Macchio is older than the dude who plays Terry Silver. Ralph Macchio is older than the dude who plays Terry Silver, who's supposed to be a Vietnam vet. At this point, Daniel's supposed to be, what, 45, 46? No, 48. He's supposed to be about 48. He's 61. But, but see, here's the thing. You <laughs> His could tell wife me, on the show. You could tell me that he, you could be like, you know what? Ralph, Ralph Macchio is 45. And I'd be like, you know what? Yep. Yes, he is. He does take good care of himself, but let me let me just throw this. I mean, he he is aged really nicely. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Like, you know, he he. Ralph Macchio was born November fourth, nineteen sixty one. Okay, Thomas Ian Griffith, who plays uh, Terry Silver, was born March eighteenth, nineteen sixty two. So he's a full five and a half months younger. Five and a half months younger than Ralph Macchio. So, going back, because we're going to talk a little bit about casting. Um, this was the perfect choice. This is like, you know, like in animated shows where everybody's always the same age, or comic strips where everybody, like Calvin, was ten, uh, six years old for ten years. Mm -hmm. You know, Charlie Brown was, what... 10-ish for 50 years. You know, Bart Simpson has been 10 since 1989. You know, so there's a there's something to be said for continuity. And obviously Pat Morita who was not considered for the role. Uh, nobody wanted him. 
And they kept bringing people in to read for it. Well, because apparently the director didn't want... Uh, I had no idea that Pat Morita was a comedian. He was in a movie with Jay Leno. Like I had, I had no, I had no clue until I was doing research for for this character. Uh, but yeah, he's a comedian, and the director of the film just didn't see him as that. See him in the role, didn't want him to uh, audition because he just couldn't see it. So Pat Morita was living in Hawaii. Um. You know, doing whatever he could. He was doing, like, you know, political fundraisers. He was writing copy for commercials. He was doing open mic nights and, you know, opening at comedy clubs for people. Anything he could do. So at during this time, he had started to grow his hair long a little bit. And, you know, he had, his, he had that beard. And so he didn't shave or get a haircut or anything when they brought him back in, finally, because they had... Had so many times these people, you know, uh, kept auditioning folks, and nobody really fit the bill. So they brought him in again, and the director was like, "Hey, who's that guy? He looks like Miyagi." And they're like, "That's Pat Morita, you know, the guy that you didn't want." You know, so we read for it. And if you've ever seen Pat Morita in anything else, you know that he doesn't speak in that stereotypical broken English. Like, I don't know what it is about mentors like Yoda and Mr. Miyagi that are like these wise, mystical creatures. Why they can't just speak normally. Why they have to have some sort of uh, definition. I guess it well, was played for comedic effect. Well, I mean, in in this instance, it's because he's supposed to be an immigrant from, what, Okinawa? Who fought in World War Two. You know, so this is they 40 wanted, years later. right? But what I'm saying, yeah, but you know, it, but they wanted it to sound, I guess, uh, their version of what authentic would be. I suppose. You know, I mean, we know people who, you know, or to say, I had friends whose parents had immigrated long time ago, and they still had their accent. They spoke English really well. But sometimes piecing the English language is a terrible language to learn as a second as a language. Second language. Uh, it, it doesn't really make sense. You know, certain things, things I mean, don't translate exactly. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and that's that that is a whole conversation for another day. But uh, but anyway, so a lot of these, the, you know, people who learn English as a second language, it's just almost like a, a lost in translation type thing, you know, so... Um, if you're doing, like, a literal translation from, you know, French or Spanish to English, there's something that gets lost. Right, you know, and sometimes it's the use of preposition or, you know, it's... it's the order of words? Yes, like, it's, it's something, you know, the fact that we have... No me gusta means no I like, as opposed to... I don't like. Well, you know, and and contractions and stuff like that are something that mm-hmm. isn't uh, well. It's like n- the, not uh, not readily available in, uh, in in other languages. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, well, it's so like I the, think the, they were trying to go for for some sort of authenticity. You know, they wanted him to be believable. You know, they wanted the character to sound a specific way to make the backstory believable. 
Right. It's like I was going to say the uh, the 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 thing that's floating around the back of the bootleg Alien DVD, like you know something about space make deaf, you know, like. It's like the gist is there. In space, no No one one can can hear hear you scream. scream. Like, but it's a a weird... Well, it's like those... um, I mean, I'm sure you've all seen those YouTube videos where they take well-known movies... Backstroke you know, of in, the West. Ex- well, exactly. They take they, they take clips of movies, they translate it into a bunch of different languages, and then or translate even one it, language, and, and then, then translate it back to English, and it's just kind of like what? well, like the end of Phantom what? Menace. <laughs> instead of yelling no, uh, Darth Vader says, "Do not want," which yeah, it's pretty much the same. But it's not. But contextually, it's very, very different. So, yeah. So there's there's that, and you know, there's even a reference to it in Karate Kid Four, when Julie yells at him like, "You can't even speak English" or something like, "Like you're going to teach me about life, you can't even speak English." Like, that was kind of a a, a hard knock on Mr. Miyagi. But before we get into the character himself, I want to talk a little bit about. Um, so for. You know, like I said, we're going to talk about the casting. So for somebody that nobody really wanted and it took this long, drawn-out process for Pat Morita to get the role, he was actually nominated for an Oscar, uh, 1984's uh, 57th Academy Awards. He actually lost to Don Amici for his turn as Arthur Selwyn in the movie Cocoon, which is a phenomenal film that I oh, have Jessica not seen. Oh, Jessica Tandy. Brian Dennehy. Steve Gutenberg movie I haven't seen in so long. However, and as far as I'm concerned, this is real life and happened. It's canonical. Um, Homer Simpson has that award and tried flushing it down his his toilet. So uh, Don Amici no lost his Oscar, and probably in the stock market crash of 1983 when. He and his brother lost everything in the frozen orange juice trade uh, and were reduced to being poor now. But it is believed that the reason why Pat Morita got the Oscar nomination was for the drunken anniversary scene. Which is... Which is equal parts... Very entertaining and hilarious and very just heartbreaking and terribly sad. Like the the mixture of emotions, and we'll get into that in a, in, a, in a minute, but apparently they wanted to get rid of that scene. Like they, they filmed it and they were like, yeah, I don't know. And they fought to keep it in and they kept that, it in and they... Yeah, that happens a lot like in the original Rocky like there's a scene that Stallone really, really wanted to have because it's a similar type of scene where he's very vulnerable and emotional. And they're like, fine, you can shoot it. Like, we don't want it, but you only get one take. And they fucking nailed it. And if you know anything about Rocky, that got nominated for like all of the best picture, best writer, best actor, best supporting actor, best actress. Like, 
Stallone, Talia Shire, Burt Ward, Burgess Meredith, like they all got Oscar nominations for that. So sometimes the producer and the ed- producers and editors aren't always spot on about this. But that scene in particular, you know, we're introduced to Mr. Miyagi, obviously in the first Karate Kid. Uh, he has taken Daniel Danielson under his wing at that point. Uh, you just think that he's this old Japanese guy who's just, you know, he's... He's a maintenance worker at this apartment complex, you know, really seedy, shitty apartment complex. Yeah, uh, but the pool. You know, obviously he doesn't live there. He has this fantastic house and this car collection and everything. But but you don't really know too, too much about his backstory until that one scene. And a lot kind of unfolds. And you learn so much about this character in this vulnerable moment where, you know, before that, you just kind of, you know, he was uh, teaching Daniel karate. And you just kind of thought of him as this, oh, you know, wacky Mr. Miyagi, you know, doing the dojo stuff, you know, oh, karate. And then you realize that there's so much more to this character and the the depth that Pat Moriarty, Moriarty, wow, Pat Morita. I almost called him Pat Moriarty. Moriarty. Why am I saying uh, Pat? The, the 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 depth that he brings to this character, and it's really heartbreaking. And Mr. Miyagi is one of those characters where, over the course of the four films, you learn a little bit more about him every single film. And you know, this was a first time watch for me, all four films, and currently working our way through Cobra, Cobra Kai, which, spoiler alert, we're gonna be talking about soon. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the things I, my, the, the consistent thing was, I really liked the Miyagi character. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I may not have particularly cared for some of the films i'm looking at you next karate kid hillary swank who clearly subscribed to the same acting school that jennifer Connolly did in the labyrinth film we were watching this and listening to some of her line delivery and i turned to ashes and said she has two oscars Well, no, we looked it up. You, you were like, she has an Oscar. I'm like, I no, think no, she we, has that was, multiple. That was, that was on our way home because I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I think because you said, oh, she won for this. And I'm like, but I think she won for this. And it turns and out she won, won for both. both. Uh, Million Dollar uh, Baby and, and Boys, Boys Don't, Don't Cry. Cry. But we're, we're watching it later on that day. And she does this one line. And I look at you and I'm like. She has two Oscars. Right, and that's when I said, wow, she's just like Jennifer Connelly in The Labyrinth. Just terrible. So before terrible. before we go any further, I do want to talk a little bit more about uh, one of the honors that Mr. Miyagi was given. So he was nominated and inducted into the Fictitious Athlete Hall of Fame in 2015. So... There were three categories, which it only started, I think, in like 2013, 2012, somewhere in there. Uh, and the first the first inductee was Rocky. So they have three categories. There are veterans, uh, which are kind of like the mentor uh, figures, or uh, uh, contributors is the second category. And those are also the mentors, like guys that... Uh, veterans are guys that have been in multiple films. Contributors are the mentors, the trainers, and then there's the athletes themselves. 
So he got uh, inducted in 2015 as a contributor alongside Carl Spackler, played by Bill Murray in Caddyshack. Uh, Daniel LaRusso was inducted in 2018. And like I said, Rocky was the first character inducted. Mickey Goldmill didn't get in until 2017, so two years after Miyagi. So Miyagi got in two year, three years before Daniel LaRusso and two years before Mickey, who trained the very first inductee. I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. Well, especially because Pat Morita, when he... I almost corrected you and said Moriarty. Nope, got it right that time. Uh, didn't know a lick of karate when he took on the role of Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, which is, again, another one of those... Um, he did obviously have a stunt double. He worked with some people. Um, you know, he obviously learned a lot. Same with Ralph Macchio. But you wouldn't know. You know what he brings to this character. There's this, this wisdom, this air of knowledge uh, that this character has. That, you know, he's definitely... I know he's an older character, but what I got from this character watching it was that he was an old soul. Um, that maybe he was, uh, you know, kind of going... Maybe stretching here, but... Um, he comes from, you know, like the character Mr. Miyagi comes from a line of Miyagi's. Uh, there's the story of sh uh, what Shimpo? Shimpo Shinpo Sensei. Shimpo Miyagi, who was very fond of both fishing and sake. One day in 1625, while fishing and very drunk, he passed out on his fishing boat off the coast of Okinawa and ended up on the coast of China. Ten years later, Shimpo returned to Okinawa with his Chinese wife, his two kids, and the secret of Miyagi family karate. Uh, he combined Japanese karate with uh, being from China, kung fu. But there's something about the way that Pat Morita, uh, this, this, uh, what he brought to the character, this air of, of like I said, wisdom, uh, that he was just wise far beyond his years, that he was an old soul. Yes, yes, he was an elderly man, but he was an old soul to begin with. You know, just somebody who, you know, when you meet someone and you just believe everything that they say and you trust them and you feel almost like that empathetic connection with them, knowing that uh, almost like you, you've known them before or, you know, you know that they've lived a thousand lives at this point yes you know like I, I get that vibe from you know what Marita was bringing to the Miyagi character Noriyoshi Keisuke Miyagi born June, 20, June 9th 1925 died November 15th 2011 so 10 years give or take uh, or seven, 7 years before the events of Cobra Kai yeah, so he originally learned karate from his father, who had been a fisherman. So obviously that was a, a family profession as well. Mr. Miyagi claims his first fishing lesson from his father was in the quiet waters of Okinawa at the age of two. Mr. Miyagi initially had a job working for his father, or working for the father of his best friend, Sato, who was also taught karate by Mr. Miyagi's father. Correct. And that is a storyline that comes into play in the second film. 
Oh, I thought you were going to. Oh, keep I'm going. just. I'm. I'm kind of looking for like that. That's the second film, correct? Yes, that is. Okay, that's Karate like Kid Two when they go to Okinawa and yes. he has the fight to the death with Chosen. Yes. So, during his teenage years, Mr. Miyagi fell in love with a young woman named Yuki, who was arranged to marry Sato, uh, as arranged marriages were a custom in Okinawa at the time. Sato was the richest. Uh, from the richest family, Yuki from Yukie, he called her Yuki. Uh, Yukie from the poorest family, so it was a good match. So in 1943, Mr. Miyagi made a big speech about wanting to abandon this tradition so he could marry Yuki. Sato felt dishonored by this and challenged Miyagi to a fight to the death. To avoid the fight, Miyagi left Okinawa during the night and immigrated to the U.S. Yes. Bringing only one thing with him, which we find out about in Karate Kid Part 3, his bonsai tree. Bonsai! Different. There's bonsai and there's bonsai. B-A-N-Z-A-I is... You know, an exclamation like the when he was drinking with Danielson in that scene you described, Banzai! Or you know when he gives him the car, which Ralph Macchio still has, um, Bonsai B O N S A I refers to the trees. Daniel has that same confusion, um, and you know Miyagi because they also call him Miyagi for a while. A lot of people call him Miyagi for like the first movie and a half uh, until they get to uh, Okinawa when everybody knows him. But yeah, he uh, he has this mystical air about him, especially, you know, when he rescues Daniel from the Cobra Kai's the first time when they're all dressed as skeletons. He's like, oh, what happened to Spider-Man? He's like, who? The guy that saved me. And Miyagi laughs. He's like, you? He's like, he's like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't believe it. And he's like, why? Because old man. <laughs> but like, yeah, kinda. Like, <laughs> everybody, everybody, like, underestimates him because he's. Well, I mean, he's only five three. I was gonna say he's small of stature. So everyone underestimate underestimates him because he's so small. But here's the thing. Like, it's almost like a David and Goliath type thing. You know, you can be large, but you can also fall. Like, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Um, Miyagi is skilled and trained and smart and thoughtful with every single move that he makes. So it's easy to underestimate him because he's so small, but he takes that as the advantage. Right, he, uh, you know, when he fights Kreese at the beginning of uh, Karate Kid 2, which, contrary to popular belief, was not filmed back, to, was not like a deleted scene from part one, but the beginning of part two was its own thing. They brought everybody back. They recreated the parking lot and everything. Um, like that whole scene. They, uh, he didn't, he didn't touch him. Basically, he let Kreese defeat himself. So, you know, that was... In the entire series, 
Miyagi gets hit once. And the one time he gets hit, he is shielding uh, Daniel and his back is turned and he gets whacked in the back with the spear. That's the only time he gets touched. Nobody else lays a finger on him the entire uh, franchise. So take that, Steven Seagal. That'll teach him. Mm-hmm. So what else you got? So talking about Miyagi and talking about that drunken scene in that first film where we learn a lot about him, uh, we learn that he is a decorated war veteran. Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, so he actually was in World War II. Yep. In January 1943, the U.S. Army issued a call for Japanese-American volunteers. Mr. Miyagi was probably not among the initial recruits, being that he was attending college that year, even though most of whom came from Hawaii, as those on the mainland were reluctant to volunteer while their families remained in internment camps. Now, on a sidestep here, not a lot of people know this. Uh, it's something that's left out of U.S. history, and if you really take a deep dive into U.S. history, you learn that you actually don't know a lot of U.S. history because a lot of things are left out of our history books in school. That's correct. So, um, Japanese internment camps, uh, concentration camps for Japanese Americans, not a lot of people know that that was a thing. Concentration camps on U.S. soil. Uh segregating Japanese Americans. Anyone of Japanese ancestry was rounded up and put in because they were considered uh, a potential threat. A spy, even. However, this was not done for any of the Italian or German citizens, which... Kind of funny how that works, isn't it? It's racism, really. But anyways, uh, if you'd like to learn more about this, there's this great podcast called Dark History. It is hosted by Bailey Sari, and she does the murder, makeup, and mystery um, Mondays. Um, she's fantastic, and she takes like a, an interesting approach to teaching these really horrible yet interesting events of American history and she has an episode on these Japanese internment camps and just absolutely disgusting and terrible what took place and why it took place you know a lot of people uh, Japanese Americans like they came here looking to flee Imperial. That, that situation yeah. only to be sent to these concentration camps some of them brutally murdered and it's not like for for having nothing to do with anything except right. for the fact that they were Japanese Americans. And it's not like you know it's like oh well that was so long ago. George Takei was a child. Uh, you know him as Sulu from Star Trek. George Takei was a child in one of these uh, internment camps and remembers it and talks about them quite a bit. So yeah, it's not like something that has gone on. Uh, you know, it wasn't something that was deep, deep in our history that like no one would remember. No one alive today. It's not like the Civil War where like, there's nobody who is in the Civil War but that's still alive today. It's one of those things that they're slowly trying to erase from U.S. history, mm -hmm. much like the Trail of Tears, 
which a lot of people don't know about. Again, check out Dark History. There's a fantastic episode about the Trail of Tears. Uh, and, and, you know, to be completely honest, it's something that I learned, uh, but I didn't know the extent of it. Oh, and, we've ta- and we've mentioned this when we did our Watchmen episode, the opening scene, the 1921 Tulsa Massacre. Right. That's a real event that happened in real life that they just recreated for the show to give some context to the characters. Right. So back to Mr. Miyagi. So it is most likely that he got drafted early the following year in 1944. For fear of espionage due to the Japanese lineage of the soldiers, the 442nd Regimental Combat Team was sent to the European Theater, stationed primarily in Italy, and fought the Battle of Anzio. While Mr. Miyagi was in the war, his wife, who was pregnant, was held at the Manzanar internment camp. Over the course of his military service, Mr. Mr. Miyagi was promoted to the rank of staff sergeant and was highly decorated. Mr. Miyagi's unit, uh, the 442nd Infantry Regiment, was one of the most highly decorated regiments in the history of the U.S. Armed Forces, including 21 Medal of Honor recipients. Mr. Mr. Miyagi was one of them having earned not only the Medal of Honor, but also the Silver Star Bronze Star, Army Accommodation Medal, Purple Heart, Presidential Union Citation, Army Good Conduct Medal, American Campaign Medal, European African Middle Eastern Campaign Medal, World War II Victory Medal, Combat Infantryman Badge, and the 442nd Regimental Combat Team Service Identification Badge. During his military service, he formed a very close friendship with his commanding officer, Lieutenant Jack Pierce, after he saved Mr. Miyagi's life. Miyagi taught him the art of karate in exchange for formal dance lessons yeah jack Jack taught him to waltz and he taught him karate in hopes of being able to dance with his wife now sadly while he was away in the war mr miyagi suffered the greatest personal tragedy of his life his wife and their unborn son passed away in man's Manzanar. Manzanar on November 2nd, 1944, due to complications during childbirth when there were no doctors there to help. This was a loss that haunted him for decades, and he never remarried or had children, living a relatively solitary existence. And all of that comes to be. We learn about all of that during that one scene where he is the most vulnerable. Yes. Getting drunk on the anniversary of the passing of his wife and his unborn child. Right, a few days after the Halloween thing, so they actually kept it in, like, movie continuity time. And it kind of explains why he takes to Daniel. Yeah. You know, uh... Daniel is a character and he's another character that we're going to talk about probably next week. So stay tuned kids. But you know, Daniel, uh, you know, comes from a single parent household. He lives with his mother who is not, 
she's involved in his life, but she's working really hard. So she's she's an absent parent, not because she wants to be, but because she has to be. She tries to be as involved as she possibly because can. Because his father died. Daniel's, yeah, his father passed when he was young. So he's kind of missing that, you know, father figure, patriarch figure in his life. And it's almost fate that the two of them meet, especially at the time that they meet, Daniel being in his formative years in high school at a new high school, you being know, trying bullied. to being bullied, trying to adjust. Learning karate from a book. You know, and and you know, Miyagi kind of at this say rut? Standstill? Yeah, he's fairly. He's he's kind of he's happy doing the same thing. He has his routine, you know. He fixes things. He's the maintenance guy, you know. He fixes things. He works on his bonsais. He goes home. He does his stuff. You know, he but he has no one. Right. I mean, he has things. He has this beautiful house, like you said. He has all his cars. He has these classic cars that he fixes up. Um, So he has his hobbies, but he doesn't have. Anyone. Anyone to share it with. And, and he is delighted when he gets to teach Daniel LaRusso. To the point where it almost becomes like a... He becomes... I mean, obviously, uh, um, there's a mentorship there. But it evolves past that. It becomes familial. It becomes almost like a... They a love each other. Like Grandfather, no... grandson type relationship. It's father-son. Because he does reveal that he feels like a grandfather to Samantha LaRusso. Because, you know, he does live, you know, he he has Daniel build a guest room at the beginning of Karate Kid 2, which doesn't get finished until Karate Kid 3. And, you know, Miyagi always knows more than he lets on, but he kind of leaves the door open through the different lessons and the different like philosophical musings that he has um one of the first things we see Miyagi doing is when he's training Daniel is trying to catch a fly with chopsticks because he says a man who can catch a fly with chopsticks can accomplish anything and Daniel does it in about two seconds. He tries like two or three times, and he's like, hey, look, I did it. And he's like, beginner luck. At the beginning of the second film, we see Miyagi accomplish this, and he's so excited. He doesn't even kill the fly. He lets the fly go, and that's something that we see time and time again from uh, from Miyagi <laughs> is... Honk. Yes. <laughs> One of the it's funniest goddamn things. Mercy. Well, that's why I think I, I the the title of this is actually a, a meme I made for Bort posting. Strike hard, strike fair first? No. Mercy. But but that's a big thing, you know. Uh Miyagi is so knowledgeable and talented and and has the means to put to, to re- he has the means to bring someone to an end, and he could do that in the second one. Oh, yeah. He used to fight, like, for his life all the time when he was a kid in Okinawa. Well, I mean, and you see that when he fights Crease. He could have killed him. He could have, but he didn't. He just let Crease punch out a bunch of car windows. 
But um, Miyagi has this um, this this thing that he says to Daniel. He's like, you know, for people with you know no honor, I, I get the ex- I forget the exact thing that he used, the exact uh, term. But for some people, living with themselves, like with their failure and their lack of honor, is a fate worse than death. Well, and that's... Doesn't that kind of tie into... I may be getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but... So, obviously, the thing in the first film was, you know, Daniel partaking of the... You know, participating in the karate tournament as a means to an end to stop the bullying from happening for a while. Right, because... And Miyagi even told me, it's like, it doesn't matter if you win. It just matters that you go and you represent yourself well and gain the respect of these these people that are harassing and bullying you and later on he wants to defend his title oh spoiler alert he wins um you know spoiler alert for a movie that came out 30 almost 40 years ago nine years ago um but he wins and he wants to defend his title, defend his championship. And Miyagi wants no part of that. He doesn't think that it's important. He doesn't, you know. Well, what does he say to him? Like the, the honor thing? No. You know, it's not about trophies. Like, you're not going out there. Like, that's not. Well, what... yeah. And, and he brings that up with, like, the whole belt thing. Yeah, that's in the in the um, in the trailer. What kind of belt do you have? Canvas, JC Penny, three ninety eight. Like, like it doesn't matter. Like, like it's it's not about the, it's not about the badges. It's not about the trophies. It's not about the accolades. It's about you, as a person, and your honor, and what you bring to the table, and what you learn. It's not about any of this decor. It's it's about you as a person. Well, he brings that up when Daniel finds his Medal of Honor, and he's like, oh, I made you a box, you know, and a display case so you can show it off. And he's like, why show it off? And he goes, well, this says you're brave. And he goes, no. And he, like, points to his heart. He goes, this says you're brave. And he points at the Medal of Honor. He goes, this says you're lucky. Yeah. So, and, like, <laughs> like, he doesn't care. He's like, you know, karate for the sake of, like, gaining trophies and notoriety he's like i don't like fighting i don't want to fight like i never want to fight i never want to be in that position oh that's why miyagi karate or miyagi do if you will is all about defense you do not strike first you only participate if you need to and even in that like you use the bare amount of effort that it takes to defeat your opponent like Again, he could kill the people that he's fighting. And we well, learn in Cobra Kai... I was going to say, like, we learn that there's so much more to Miyagi Karate that Daniel doesn't know. Daniel thinks he's learned he's he's learned it all. And to come to find out, when he takes this trip back to Japan, for reasons we'll talk about on a later episode, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's... He finds, finds out that there's... He, he's fighting Chosen... Which, you know, the uh, after watching the films and watching Cobra Kai, uh, the callbacks, call, yeah, the callbacks, the care, like, it's really well done. Cobra Kai is really fantastic. Uh, but he's fighting Chosen and then come to find out, like, there's so much more to Miyagi Karate that he doesn't even know. 
Right, and Chosen like has been given... Ability, right, like the ability... His name is, just because we keep calling him Chosen, it's not like C-H-O-S-E-N, it's Chosen, C-H-O-Z-E-N. It means something completely different, not like you are you the, are you are the, the one. chosen one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, come to find out, you know, Daniel... There's so much more that he doesn't know. Like but he I had learns. already, I knew about this. Like I knew what was coming because I had watched all three seasons of Cobra Kai, and I wanted to get into season four. But I wanted you to watch the movies first, and like we could rewatch the entire series this together. Is what, so this, this has is been a what fucking we're doing. journey. So obviously, we're talking about Miyagi today. Next week, we're talking about Daniel LaRusso, and the following following week, we're talking about Johnny Lawrence, because this has been two weeks so far of prep, watching all of the films. We're now watching Cobra Kai. We're in the third season. I'm having a hell of a time with this series. I'm enjoying myself. Uh, but yeah, it's been a lot of prep, so uh, enjoy it, kids. <laughs> Here we are. Uh, but, you know, but it's it's interesting to me how they're keeping this character alive. And I know we're kind of jumping ahead a bunch, but uh, they're keeping this character alive, this character's memory alive in the series. Yeah, like there's, there's a lot of, you know, references and especially this third season when Daniel goes back to Okinawa. Like there's a lot of... What there basically this is what happened in the forty you know thirty five forty years between the first film or say the thirty years between the last film and now where's John Kreese where's uh you know Daniel where's Johnny Lawrence and the fact that we get the backstory of Johnny Lawrence's characters and we get to see. These these guys doing their best to be like, okay, this is how we were taught, and it was the right way to be taught this thing, so we're going to do it the same way. Finding out that, Jesus, like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing, and some of the situations we've put ourselves in, some of the decisions we have made, shit, this was the wrong thing to do, and... The issue is they only had this one perspective their entire lives. You know, for for Johnny, he's he was constantly bullied from the time he was about eight. Let's but we'll get to that. Save that. Save that. Long story short, everyone has a story. And that's what we're learning, you know, in, in this, you know, the Karate Kid universe. Everyone has a story. And sometimes that story is this person is just a shitty person. And sometimes it's there's there are more layers to this person yes. than what you initially thought. You know, so some of these characters, these kids who, you know, the Cobra Kai's who bullied Daniel, um, which, you know, forged this relationship. And I mean, and really, it's all Cobra Kai's fault. You know, if they didn't bully Daniel, Daniel wouldn't have forged this relationship with Mr. Miyagi. I mean... I mean, it may have happened... But, you know, this was kind of the, the, the basis. Like, I'm a new kid. I'm being bullied. Help me gain some confidence, you know? Yeah, and 
the other thing is, you know, you have, you know, the 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 backstories of you only get you only get the one side of the story, which is why I like Cobra Kai because you get this is what happened in the background. This is what was going on. It's like I generally I don't need a villain's origin story. But when you realize that Johnny Lawrence and Daniel LaRusso have so much in common, they're so similar, they're so different, like there's they're like two positively charged ions. Which is why they repel each other. Um and you know, you get the difference between like you even get a little bit of John Kreese's backstory and you get a little bit of so you find out why these people are who they are and why they act out the way they do, why they respond to things the way they do, um, and how their mentor figures have um, influenced them. Because, you know, it's not just like, oh, you know, Daniel was influenced by Miyagi and now he's going to try and do this. You know, he was also mentored by Terry Silver. And it's like, he showed me a path that I thought I wanted. He showed me, he gave me these things that I thought I wanted. He made me feel powerful, but like, I didn't like the way I wanted, I was turning out to be what? Wait, Terry Silver, is that 80s guy? Yeah, Karate Kid 3. I'm 80s guy. Um, you know, we hear the story about Miyagi's uh, Shinpo Sensei and how his father taught him, but also taught Sato. And we get to see the dichotomy of what happened with Sato and what happened with Miyagi and how that relationship fractured and how that relationship was repaired uh, through their students. You know, we get to see um, John Kreese and his relationship with Johnny Lawrence but through Cobra Kai we get to see how John Kreese became because you haven't seen that episode yet but like see the things that forged John Kreese into who he is which you know there's there's so many like again talking about mentorship you know if you use the definition that I gave at the beginning of the show and look at all the different influences that each one of these characters had on them. Yeah, Miyagi was the primary uh, influence in Daniel's life, but he also had Allie. He had his mother. He had, uh, for a short time, Terry Silver, who manipulated him and made him do things that he didn't want to do, but he thought he wanted to do it. Uh, And we look at Johnny Lawrence, and we see the relationship that he had with John Kreese, the relationship with his father, the relationship with his mother, the relationship with his stepfather. Like, there's so many different layers to a mentor-mentee or student relationship. And getting to peel back some of these layers and see it's like, oh, this guy's just a jerk. Or, oh, this guy's kind of a... Because you... Even at the end of the first Karate Kid... When Daniel kicks Johnny in the face, and that's how he wins. Illegal contact to the head. 
How does Johnny respond to it? Does he lose his mind and flip out and cheap shot him? He takes the trophy and hands it to Daniel and says, you're all right, LaRusso. Which is exactly what Miyagi wanted him to do. Like, he wanted him to gain the respect of the bullies that were tormenting him. And to that end, he accomplished that. He was able to gain Johnny Lawrence's respect because he was able to defeat Johnny. So, I mean, it was short-lived, but... That, to me, that tiny little glimpse into who Johnny was. And then, obviously, the very next scene that we see him in, in Karate Kid 2, when Kreese is losing his fucking mind. Over the second place trophy? You're nothing. You lost. You're a loser. And then he puts him in that chokehold and says, how does second place feel now? Like, we get to see the difference between... Johnny Lawrence the person and Johnny Lawrence the Cobra Kai student like obviously we'll get into that in a couple of weeks but like you were saying we've spent a lot of time this is a lot of like you know four seasons worth of TV plus four movies we can't just squeeze one episode out of we got to get several episodes out of this I so. mean in, in, to be completely honest so I, I do kind of want to talk about my journey with the films for a moment here um not what I was expecting, because I thought there was going to be a hell of a lot more karate involved. I thought it was going to be a lot more action-packed, uh, and it wasn't. There was a lot more story and a lot of, you know, character development for some of these characters, um, and a lot, a lot of story, a lot of story. Uh, not gonna lie, some of it was kind of boring, uh, but the first film in particular fucking loved it it was so campy and so fun so and bizarre 80s. and there's just a so fantastically 80s i loved it um i did like some of the story of the second one did get a little bored with it uh but i mean overall i thought that was pretty fantastic uh the third one was all right mm -hmm. it was it was okay I mean, it, it, and and the fourth one happened. I watched it. It's 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 a thing that I saw. Um, but throughout all four films, obviously the constant is Mr. Miyagi, and he is such a strong character. And you learn a little bit more about him through every film. You know, not only his story, but how you you learn a lot about him, just how he reacts to things. Yeah, and he's very <sighs> sarcastic and dry, you know, like, when he's like, maybe use head for something other than target, like... Well, you know, and it's funny because some of the things that he says is for his own enjoyment. And he laughs at a lot of his own Like, he, he makes himself laugh, which I find just so endearing. Like, he's really an adorable character. Uh, he's an, an adorable old man, how he's presented in the films. And you can't help but just love this character so much. You know, not only the, the wisdom that he, he you know imparts on his mentees and you know his his students and whatnot but you know just to who he is you know learning his backstory learning everything that this person has been through he could easily have turned into the villain and he didn't you know because he he has he has a villain's backstory 
Oh, he really Everything does. Everything that he's, you know, all of the knowledge, all of his, you know, karate expertise and, and fighting style and whatnot, uh, everything that has happened to him, all that he's lost, he easily could have been the villain. But the fact that he was able to keep a level head through everything, you know, and, and even that drunken scene that, you know, where he was really just at his most, I think authentic self you know sometimes when you're drunk you barriers come down because you can't really put that wall back up um you know like he just he, he could have been an asshole this character really could have been an asshole and he wasn't and there's something that pat marita brings to this character that is just so <sighs> i'm watching this and I mean, I knew you know, the whole like wax on, wax off things. Like you, you know that there are certain certain quotes, certain things that you just you know. Um, but there was something so familiar about him, something so warm, so inviting. It's almost like you know him because maybe you knew someone like him growing up, or maybe you know like he reminds you of someone, or you know maybe he is someone who you wish you had in your life, if that makes any sense. You're like, you're watching yeah. it and you wish you had that type of, of mentorship, that type of relationship with someone who or could take you under their wing or they remind you of someone. That's what I was saying. Like, like, Oh, I wish I had someone in this life in my life like this, or I know that guy. Or like maybe you are that person. Maybe you're seeing a little bit of yourself in this character. You know, I, I think that sometimes we sell ourselves short in the wisdom that we offer with our friendships, with, you know, just the people around us. And I will say context is everything because Cobra Kai, there's a lot of uh, homages to the original series. I mean, when Miyagi beats up a bunch of teenagers, it's heroic. When Johnny Lawrence beats <laughs> up a bunch of teenagers, he goes to jail. <laughs> it's a felony. <laughs> but it's the same situation, only Johnny only got involved because they threw shit on his car. And then he lost his pizza and the homeless lady ate it. But, like, he kicked the shit out of the bad guys. And the first person to judge him for that, Daniel LaRusso. Like, oh, he did that to you? Oh, that's because he's a bad guy. It's like, hey, remember when Mr. Miyagi kicked the shit out of five people? Do you remember that? Was he a bad guy? Yeah. And again, we'll talk more about... Daniel and his I mean, hypocrisies next a lot week of the, on the uh, show. there's gonna be a lot of Overlap, common threads yeah. and overlaps, yeah. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. There's there's gonna be a lot of that because it's hard to talk about one of these characters without the other because of the well, influence they all had on each other. I gonna say, like, you know, they're really integral and in, uh who these characters become. I mean because we've seen, like, if we were to... These guys aren't that different. Like, you know, they're very malleable characters. If you were to switch Johnny Lawrence and Daniel LaRusso, 
have Johnny Lawrence, you know, given his backstory, have Johnny Lawrence meet Mr. Miyagi, have Daniel go to Cobra Kai. I was going to say, it's really all a matter of perspective. Yeah, it's just the point and of view. And circumstance. Yep. Yep. There's no difference between the two of these characters as far as, you know, because we see what happens when Daniel goes to Cobra Kai. He falls in, but he punched the shit out of Breckenmeyer. He punched him right in the face and broke his nose. So, yeah, we, you know, even when the guy uh, destroyed Daniel's knee for the first time, he the first he, I'm sorry, Daniel, I'm sorry, I, you know, you know. So, but I think this is a a pretty good place to uh, to wrap up. Obviously, we could go on and on, and we will for another couple of weeks. So we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna wrap things up. We have uh, some new wine. We have some science stuff for you, so let's uh, let's do this. We'll be right back. Shark bites, shark bites podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkning Network, hosted by a nerd whose name Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. At Strong-Willed Sports Memorabilia and more, our mission is to raise as much money and awareness for pediatric cancer research as possible through the giving away of authenticated autographed sports memorabilia and more. All proceeds from our games will be donated to various pediatric cancer foundations, with the majority going to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and the Jimmy Fund. Our mission to give back began when Craig and Kara's son, William, was diagnosed with a stage 4 Wilms tumor, and his courage to fight and overcome his cancer ultimately led to the start of the hashtag Strong-Willed Movement. For more information on how to donate and support this great cause, please visit the hashtag Strong-Willed Sports Memorabilia and More Facebook group. was from Karate Kid 3, uh, and it's one of my most favorite clips. And it's one of those things like, you know, maybe you didn't grow up watching these movies like I did and watching them all the time like I did. Um, but even now re-watching it and then just re-watching the clip to record it, um, it still hits me every time. Like, because you know who Miyagi is at this point and you know how much he means to Daniel, you know, that line, it's okay to lose to your opponent, but it's not okay to lose to fear. You know, Daniel's like, I'm afraid. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I'm afraid. And it's like, no, 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 no. You can do it. Your best, you still have your best inside you, you know, and this is after he's been, you know, tormented and broken down. And, you know, this shows you exactly how much of a mentor, how much 
Miyagi believes in him and how much Daniel trusts Miyagi to guide him in the right direction. So I have a question for you. Go ahead. Growing up with these films, why did you like them? I think I liked them because um, when I was a kid, everybody, uh, I would get beat up a lot. People always tried to beat me up because I was very small and scrawny and um, I didn't have the best social skills. So I would have to, you know, defend myself quite a bit because I was little and people liked to beat me up. Like there's, you know, there was a a neighborhood bully who was a, a, a grade older than me who uh, we got into lots and lots and lots of fights. Um, sometimes I won, sometimes I didn't. You know, most of the time I didn't because it was usually him and two of his friends, which, you know, I always thought was super fair and, you know, showed how tough he was. But... Um, but yeah, he uh, he was uh, not a good guy, um, but I kind of, and he was blonde, so I kind of identified with Daniel LaRusso needing to fight, because I would, I would fight off people, and you know, one time I remember walking home, it was the last day of school, and there was a kid that lived near me, and he kept telling me for a week how the last day of school he was going to get me. And I kept trying to tell the teachers, and the teachers were like, well, you're going to have to learn how to defend yourself someday. So, you know, it gives you an idea of how different the times were. Um, and sometimes I would have to do whatever I had, whatever I could do in order to not get the shit kicked out of me. So I had to bite this kid. Like, <laughs> I, no, he had, he jumped me. He jumped me, and I had I no... Had to bite this kid. I did. Well, he jumped me, and uh, I had... He was a lot stronger than me. He wasn't that much bigger, but he was bigger than I was, and he was stronger than I was, and he was faster than I was, and so I couldn't run away from him, um, which was my preferred move at the time, but he... He got me, and I he had me in a, a a hold. I couldn't get out of it, and he was punching me. So I just bit him, and that was the only thing I could do to get away. I mean, I got away, but that was that was all I could do. So sometimes, you know, it's one of the it's like Miyagi said, it was, that was not a tournament. That was for real. Like this kid really wanted to seriously hurt me, and. I had no other option. Long story short, kids, when in doubt, bite it out. <laughs> hey, how many times have you seen in movies? Michael Bain gets bitten on the hand in like every movie he's in. Somebody, Ed, Ed Harris bit him in The Abyss. Linda Hamilton bit him in Terminator. You know, sometimes you do it. You got it. How many times have you watched a movie where a guy, you know, got somebody in a chokehold and so they bite their hand? A lot of zombie movies end that way. Not just move, not just zombie. I'm talking action films. I'm sure Stallone's bitten guys on the hand. So I bit the kid. I had to. I had no choice. You know. But as I got older, and you know, I had to defend myself in various other ways. You know, I didn't. Uh, I didn't uh, resort to biting people anymore. But. 
you know, I still was getting bullied. I remember being at a family gathering and there was a kid, I think I was eight or nine. I think he was 13 or 14, probably had me by 150 pounds and thought it would be funny to dunk me underwater. I got enraged and started pushing him and he was pushing me and then I got in trouble somehow because that's always how it was. But I got in trouble and I'm like, like, oh, why are you trying to fight with him? Like, he held me underwater. Like, then they're like, oh, did you hold him underwater? He's like, no, I didn't. Oh, we were just playing. I didn't I didn't hold him underwater. Like, oh, well, you know, you must be lying. It's like, yeah, because I'm going to go attack a kid three times my size because, you know, I think it's fun. And then I'm going to say he held me underwater in a pool. I'm all, my eyes are bloodshot. But, you know, I'm lying. Anyways, but yeah, that's kind of why I like them. Like, they had that uh, that emotional kick to them. Um, I like the choreography, although watching it now, the choreography isn't as wild as you'd see in some action films. Um, but at the same time, they also stay on the action, and it's there's not like three hundred well, I mean, cuts for ten seconds of action. Not only that, though, like they're children for the most part. Yeah, they're like teenagers. Most of the action is happening. I mean, granted, they're they're well, not they're teenagers supposed to in be real teenagers. life, but they're supposed to be. They're, they're, they're it's not children. quite as bad as Greece, where it's like, "Hey, I'm 45. I go to school with my kid." Like, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, that's supposed to be a teenager? Get the fuck out of here! Like that guy has a mortgage. <laughs> like, he has a mortgage, and he has sciatica problems, and he. He has the gout. Like, there's no way that's <laughs> a mortgage a teenager. and the gout. Oh, teacher, I can't. I didn't do my homework because my peptic ulcer is acting up again. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. So, long story short, I liked them because they were an underdog story and they were action movies. And I always wanted to do karate. I ended up doing kung fu when I was older and destroyed my knee. After destroying my knee, I redestroyed it. So uh, now I'm all covered with fuzz, apparently, because she's picking it off me like a chimp finding fleas. Uh, some of them might be fleas. I don't know. But uh, you have wine you want to talk about? I do have a bit of a an interesting wine section, so to speak. Uh, so it is January, and sometimes during January, people try to... Uh, necessarily undo the excesses of the holidays but it's you know it's a new year it's a new you some t- people try to try to better themselves so a lot of people participate in veganuary where they go vegan for the month of january which i think is fantastic being a veggie source myself uh and some people participate in dry january and again i think that is fantastic i have friends who uh, live the sober lifestyle 365 and i support them on their journeys 100 percent. and i have friends who are trying to cut down on the amount that they drink and again support you so much whatever you are trying to do to better yourself facilitate that healthy lifestyle it's just perfect in my book so um i'm gonna tell you a story a couple years ago 
before the C word hit and we were all quarantined and living in this hell that we're currently living in. Uh, karate is spelled with a K. <laughs> um, I took my mom to a drag show and we had a fabulous time. But, it, you know, it was a drag show. It was at a bar. Everyone was drinking. My mom doesn't drink. And uh, she's like, well, I guess I'll just get a water or something. I'm like, you're not going to get a water. Like, I'm like. Let me let me let me take care of you. I'll 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 come back with something. So I had the bartender make her a little bit of a mocktail, a uh, little bit of cranberry juice, a little bit of Sprite, uh, with a twist of lime. Brought that back to her, and she loved it. You know, it looked just like the other cocktails that the other ladies were partaking of. You know, while watching these fine performers do their thing. And she felt like she was one with the crowd. She didn't feel like she was singled out. And it's not something that she necessarily would have made for herself. So I want to talk about mocktails and the fabulousness that is a mocktail. You can participate in dry January or just a sober-ish lifestyle if you will, uh, and still drink fabulously. So one of my favorite things to do is to take a juice or a mixture of juices. You really can't go wrong. Mix it with a soda, either uh, a lemon-lime-ish soda like a Sprite or 7-Up or a ginger ale and maybe add a little bit of fresh fruit, some cut-up fruit to it, and there you go. It's perfect. You can get really creative with the mixture of juices. Um, so lately, I've been uh, I've been partaking of a little bit of a dryish January. Some of it has to do with not feeling so well. Uh, if I have headaches and stuff like that, I deal with uh, I deal with migraines. Let's get real for a moment here. I, I have chronic migraines and stuff like that. Uh, so if I've been dealing with a lot of migraines, I don't drink, and I've been dealing with a lot of migraines in in January to the point where um, I think I. I've maybe consumed one bottle of wine about right. since Christmas, which is so not like me. I swear I'm not a pod person. Um, but you know, if you're if you're wanting something a little different uh, while you're relaxing, something um, you know, obviously drink your water, stay hydrated, be healthy. But if you want something a little fun. Uh, something that you wouldn't normally make for yourself, do a mocktail. They do have, I think, Ocean Spray and some of these other um, juicer-type things. They do make mocktail mixes where, you know, it's like, oh, just add the the alcohol, but obviously you can get them and just add soda or whatnot. And obviously, you can't go wrong with a basic Shirley Temple, a little grenadine, a little Sprite with a maraschino cherry on top, or um, I think it's a Roy Rogers. That's the uh, Coke with the grenadine. grenadine with a little cherry and stuff or cherry Coke or whatever. Uh, it's fantastic. So I highly recommend making yourself a mocktail. A little bit of juice, a little bit of soda or sparkling water or what have you. Uh, twist of a little fruit and there you go. Yeah, I mean, that's... Not bad. Like at I said, all. I mean, I've been I've been drinking a lot of cranberry juices with uh, ginger ale, sometimes with a little twist of lime, and it's perfect. Flirtinis all around. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> but it's great. But here's the thing. Like, you don't have to drink. Obviously, I love wine. I will always love wine. But if you're looking to, you know, partake of a little something and you still want to feel special, you still want to have a little something that you maybe wouldn't normally have, you know, kind of make it a little bit of a special occasion. Uh, but without the alcohol, there are so many different types of mocktail recipes online. Um, but like I said, you know, it's almost like making yourself a little bit... It's kind of like making a sangria without the wine. Mm -hmm. Just you know, a couple of different juices, like an orange and a pineapple juice, a little bit of Sprite, you know, top of the pine, yeah, like a pineapple slice or something. It's perfect. So I do have a uh, a science fact, um, sort of in the vein of because uh, we just watched Don't Look Up, which if you haven't seen it, check it out. And we, I've found that. The people who don't enjoy it are the people who you would not expect to enjoy it. So if you've seen it, are the people you know who are yeah, a little too on the nose for? Yeah, the people who are the mm -hmm. source of the mockery, mm -hmm. as, we'll, as as we can uh, kind of say. Um, so in that vein, um, I want to talk about coronal mass ejections. Uh, a coronal mass ejection is when a large burst of energy, uh, basically a solar flare, uh, rips out of the sun and comes and hits uh, the earth. So a lot of times this, I mean, it happens all the time. Uh, you'll see it as Aurora Borealis. Uh, geomagnetic storms, that's what it's called. Um, you know, coronal mass ejections are uh, very common. They happen all the time, uh, and they happen in all directions. So the fact that the Earth is moving, you know, kind of lowers the odds. But satellites have been damaged. Uh, in 1986, a particularly strong one hit Montreal and overloaded the power grid. Yeah. To the point where things that were unplugged, like radios that were unplugged, turned start, on. started yes. playing music yes. because they were charged up with the energy. Yes, I actually learned about this in oh, it may have been my environmental science course in college. So it's one of those big things that could happen at any time and one of the biggest uh, affected areas because in 1986 this wasn't much of a concern but now it could affect the global internet it could literally knock out the entire global internet so it would particularly affect the United States because of the way our system is set up um, you know satellites could get knocked out I, I mean I've you know I've kind of wondered why they don't have, like, any post-apocalyptic, like, um, movies or books or anything, uh, at least not that I'm familiar with, uh, on this subject. Because, you know, you think about it like this, you know, you would have, it would be very similar to a zombie apocalypse where, like, communication breaks down and, you know, small factions and gangs and, and you know, there'd be military groups that sort of have bases because there's no communication. There's no way to get orders from point A to point B. There's no way to communicate with loved ones. There's no way to organize. Uh, think about kind of what happened in uh, Independence Day where they had to communicate with Morse code. 
because all the satellites were gone. So you'd have no satellites, you'd have no power, you'd have no internet, you'd have no cell reception. You'd have to res uh, resort to handwritten letters by candlelight. Right. But who would you write to? No one's going to deliver them. There would be no... There would be no... Uh, there was a postal service before electricity. Right. But how would you organize that now? How would you organize anything with no internet, no phone, no way to communicate? How would you internet? How, how would you uh, organize that? How would you connect all those people and let them know that they needed to all come to a certain place to establish this? Like there's no way to do it. Everyone is so reliant on the internet. Everyone is so reliant on the satellites for telecommunications, oh for GPS. That is how I gain world domination. Well, Queen Ashes is here. Queen of the Ashes. My kitties. <laughs> I shall take care of you. Um, Worship me. The whole thing will be... Um, the whole thing would be like the, the the devolution of society. Like it would be similar to most because a lot of people, if you're in a hospital, you're you're um, you know receiving care of some sort through anything that involves electricity or the internet in any way, shape, or form. Now you are going to perish. Like if you are someone who relies on getting goods and services through the internet or through, you know, phone communications. Um, you're not going to be able to do that anymore and you will not be able to get your supplies, your medications. I mean, this is true because it's it's so easy to progress forward. But it starting over. It is not over, so easy to progress backwards. We would lose most of our... Uh, I just think digress backwards. Yeah, we would lose most of the population. Um, and one of the big things that always bugs me about post-apocalyptic movies, and the only one that's gotten it right is Mad Max. Uh, the wardrobe? No, uh, gasoline. Gasoline has a shelf life of about six months, which is why when all those idiots were filling up like trash bags and buckets, mm -hmm. like, I got to hoard gasoline because the prices are going up. Great. You just spent $5,000 on gas, and you're going to store it for what? Six months? Are you going to use 900 gallons of gas in six months? I bet you won't. That's why so, solar is the way to go. So if you, you know, seeing cars drive around 10 Same. years after, no, it doesn't. It, at least in Mad Max, they had a refinery. They had refineries. This is true, yes. So they were still making, they were taking crude oil and turning it into some sort of uh, fuel. Dinosaurs. Yes, burning liquid dinosaurs. Um, but yeah, coronal mass ejections are, are stunningly terrifying. You know, people don't talk about them the way they talk about asteroids or comets or things like that, because asteroids and comets are easily observable, you know, millions of miles away. A coronal mass ejection would take about eight minutes to get, like, if you see, uh, you know, an asteroid, you know, again, if you look at Don't Look Up or Armageddon or Deep Impact, like... Or Greenland, there's months and months and months, sometimes yes. years to prepare. It's like, okay, this comet, you know, based on this trajectory, this comet's going to come down here. It's going to swing around. But when it comes back in three years, it's going to hit us and we're going to be so fucked. You know, 
with a coronal mass ejection, the sun being 93 million miles from Earth, coronal mass ejection travels at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, eight minutes. So by the time we detect it, it's less than eight minutes. What are you going to do in eight minutes? Like I mean, I know I, what I would do in eight minutes. Probably only take four. <laughs> do it twice. <laughs> do it twice. <laughs> but yeah. Um, hey. <laughs> but yeah, like there's just, there's no, there's no uh, escaping that. There's no planning for that. Like you can have contingency plans in place, but once one was detected, you'd have under eight minutes to be like, okay, here's what we need to do. You'd never mobilize everybody in time. You'd never get the warnings out to everyone in time. And even if you did get warnings out to everyone in time, half of the population wouldn't believe you. Even after all the power went out and the satellites went down, they'd still think it's a conspiracy theory. How Although, can I don't this know, happen? The Earth is flat. I don't know who they would tell because they couldn't get on Facebook and tell everyone. Although my guess is people would actually, that sounds fantastic right about now. They would go, you know, that's what somebody, uh, one of our our Facebook friends posted this earlier, and I kind of saw it. And my my initial reaction was, you know, because it could knock out the global internet. My initial reaction was, <gasps> my NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my nice fucking tits right here. Uh, can confirm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. I do hope you enjoyed the conversation about Mr. Miyagi today. Uh, I was very happy that Ashes wanted to take this journey because these movies, uh, I've seen them a bajillion times, and they are very near and dear to me. And I'm glad that you're enjoying Cobra Kai. I was going to say, so, I mean, I I did have some fun with the films. A couple of moments were more of a chore than others. Mm -hmm. But Cobra Kai has been... uh, a really fun ride, and we'll talk about that more next week. But but yeah, I I think that um, the 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 series lends itself nicely to the films. I think that it does a really good job of tying up some loose ends, creating more story. Uh, Making some characters likable where they weren't necessarily likable in the films. And like I said, we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's it's not something that every series has been successful in doing. Oh, um, I just saw something. I want to kind of uh, piggyback on what you said earlier about, you know, being sober and all, all making mocktails. Our buddy, the Rev of the Evil Streaks and the Negans just posted that he is uh, at a bar in Denver, a sober bar called Awake. I saw an article about that. Um, Everything. It is the first sober bar, I think, ever. There are all these different drinks, but they're all alcohol-free. A lot of different uh, mocktails. Uh, He posted the uh, part of the menu Love Potion Number Nine, CBDini, uh, Free Spirits Gin. So it's the flavor, but no alcohol. So it's very interesting. So I just wanted to throw that out there because he posted that about fifteen minutes ago, and I wanted to kind of, um, you know, kind of piggyback on what you were saying. Mm-hmm. But 
yeah, so continue about uh, Cobra Kai. Oh, I was just saying, I'm, I'm really enjoying the ride, and we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about uh, Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence and Cobra Kai coming up in the next couple of weeks, because like we said, we've watched uh, all the movies, we're, we're, you know, pushing our way through I the series. I have invested a lot of time in this, so, so we're going to talk about it, we're God gonna, damn Yeah, it. we're going to do more than one episode, because... <laughs> So There's I hope you will content. continue to come along this ride with us. And I think with that being said, we, we will, will see you next Thursday. Thursday.